Welcome to Improv Interviews with Margot Escott, a psychotherapist in Naples, Florida, who is using her 35 years of experience to develop improvisation programs, benefiting and improving the lives of those with emotional and physical challenges. Improv Interviews brings together the world's leading improvisational theater masters, founders, and innovators who are using improvisation therapeutically in unique and surprising ways. With great guests that include legends like Ed Asner and Aretha Sills, you're sure to learn something new about improvisation. This is Improv Interviews with your host, Margot Escott. Good afternoon, Sarah McGillan. I'm so happy you're here at Improv Interviews. Thank you so much, Margot, for having me. It's a pleasure. Well, you're a great friend of a great friend of mine, Jay Suko, and he told me wonderful things about you. And then I did a little research and you're an amazing person, I have to say, with a very curious mind, which I just love. So you're in Copenhagen right now. Yeah, I'm I'm based in Copenhagen. And I, I only realized the other day it's actually been nine years that wow. has since I moved here. And I, I think that time has absolutely flown. But I'm originally I'm originally from Ireland. And where in Ireland are you from? I say I'm from Dublin because that makes it easier, but I'm actually from a small village just outside of Dublin called Enniskerry. Okay. I love the Irish. I love Dublin. I love Ireland. Um, I really like the country more than Dublin, I have to say. I like the oh, countryside. I totally agree. I really yeah. agree. I, anytime anyone wants to visit, I say visit Dublin maybe two days and then go west or south or even up north. Um, it's just so beautiful. There's something about, I really like bleak beauty. Yes. So gray fog and and dark kind of on, on rocky hills. And that is the most beautiful scenery for me. Yeah. So I, I really recommend Ireland. I'm a big fan of uh, murder mystery shows that take place in Ireland or Scotland. You know, the rougher, the better. Um, So tell me a little bit about your family, your mom and your dad and siblings, if you had any, and what the family was like. Yeah, so um, I'm the baby. I'm the youngest of four kids. And um, my, uh, I have, uh, (laughs) I have uh, one brother who's 11 years older than me and two sisters. So there's sort of a, um, a two-tier family, I guess. There's my eldest brother and my sister are closer in age and then my s- sister and me. Um, and yeah, I don't know. Like um, we, when we were kids, my parents got an offer to work in uh, Zambia and Zimbabwe in Africa. And we lived there for so, like a small amount of time. It was very little of, of my lifetime, but more of my siblings' lifetimes. And from them, I guess we sort of got the idea that the world is really big and follow an opportunity if it comes your way. And so now I have a brother in Abu Dhabi, a sister in Hong Kong, myself in Denmark, and one sister who's in in Ireland, and my parents are still there now. Oh, that's incredible. Wow. Adventure. So there's a spirit of adventure and taking risks in your family. That's beautiful. Now, were you you interested in acting at all in, in elementary school or... Yeah, I uh, loved it. I was one of those kids that would sing or dance or do something at a party. And I joined, it was called uh, Anne Kavanagh's Theatre School. It's now called the Young People's Theatre in Dublin. And I joined that when I was four. And wow. Yeah, it, it was, it's, the arts are quite big in Ireland. So there's a lot of dancing and singing and, and drama classes. 
So I did speech and drama from four until 18. And I loved it. It was once a week. And then I joined another another um, acting school. It was the uh, Irish Film um, Academy to learn how to act on camera. And I did used to do as much as I could. And we would do what I never knew at the time was improv. Because uh, they never really said it. They would just right. say, get up and do uh, a scene. You're um, in a shop um, uh, with somebody getting sweets like whatever they would set up a premise or we would even play short form games like party quirks and it wasn't for (laughs) years years and years that I really knew I had actually done improv since I was a kid oh that's wonderful I love party quirks what a great game really so but then you went on and got a, a, a BS in mathematics and computer studies yeah so I remember telling my parents I have done acting since I was four I loved it I I did competitions and plays and everything and when I was 18 it was time to sign up to go to university and I said I really want to do acting and they said yeah yeah okay okay and then I ended up doing computer science and mathematics and um, it was it wasn't forced at all it was advice which was if you love something you can always do it right you can always find things to do on the side you can join theater groups but if it might be nice to have something to fall back on and I was really good at mathematics and yeah. physics and applied maths so it and my mom was a computer programmer and my brother was as well so it kind of made sense and then uh-huh. I, I did that and then I fell in love with that I really enjoyed I really enjoyed studying computer science especially artificial intelligence and, and- yeah and then you went on to get a master's in artificial intelligence. Yeah. yeah. So I did. I fell in love with natural language processing, which is how computers make sense of human language. And now every days everybody knows about it because of chat GPT. Um, but back then it was sort of becoming a bigger thing in research. And it was just such an interesting concept. All the things that you could understand from human language and the way people wrote and there was an excellent program here in Copenhagen and I, it was run by an amazing professor and it was an interdisciplinary course, which meant that people from psychology, linguistics, computer science came together to do this course. And what was really cool about that, I remember sitting in a class one day and they presented us a logic problem and I said, oh, of course, you just do this, this and this. And the girl who was sitting beside me said, yeah, but you could also do that, that and that. And it was a way I would have never thought to solve a problem. And I never would have got that chance if I'd been in a room of computer scientists because we were all thinking the same way. Yeah, so yeah. It was really exciting to have that interdisciplinary, learn how to think with different people, work with people from different backgrounds. I really loved it. Very stimulating. Now, you were already an improv and an actor by then, though, when you got your master's or not? Um, so I had uh, taken a break. Um, I, I was a really really confident kid and young teenager and then when I moved to university that all fell apart and I I lost a lot of self-confidence and then as as these stories often go I went through a, a breakup and I wanted to find something to do for myself and I saw in Copenhagen that there were some improv classes so I I joined it because I missed doing theater and I missed doing things like that so I I jumped in and and was very lucky that they had just opened a theater so, um, okay, I'm sorry, I interrupted you. No, 
Oh, no, I, I was just very lucky. Like they just opened a theater and they were looking for people to join teams. So I was still in my level one or two when I got to start performing. Okay. Going back to um, when you went to university the first time when you had a breakdown, you said? Well, it wasn't like uh, a breakdown. Not, I mean, <laughs> I, I don't mean to use a heavy term. I mean, like a loss of confidence. You'd always been this confident person. What do you think that was about for you? Oh, I, I think I can place it now. It was, um, I think, the peril of... of intelligent children that you know when you're in school you don't have to work very hard and things come really easy and then you go to university and everybody is like that everybody was the very smart kid in their school and their class so suddenly you're not the smartest and you have to do work and I moved away to go to university I was 18 but probably a little bit immature and I I enjoyed university meeting people things like that but maybe I wasn't the most attentive at my classes at the very beginning so um after university you stayed in ireland for a while so i i did my bachelor's in scotland and then immediately after i moved to denmark and what brought you to denmark yeah it was this amazing program it was um just it looked amazing it was also i came on a weekend visit and i fell in love with the city it's it's beautiful have the chance it is a really really beautiful city all times of year like right now it's winter and it's dark but there's all the markets that are up and yeah it's it's a really nice place to live as well it's safe I and think, comfortable i think of fairy tales when i think of copenhagen <laughs> for sure because of hans christian anderson right yes yes a favorite um so now did you actually work in the field at all before you got into improv did you have an actual job yes. profession yeah so while i was at university i worked as a as a ta a teacher's uh-huh. assistant and a research assistant as well and then i joined a company and i became a machine learning consultant so we would go to small businesses that were looking to incorporate ai into their business and the whole time i always kept um, being an assistant lecturer on the side because i i've always had a passion for working with people so and i love teaching I love teaching because I love to, I love, I think what also happened was, so when I was in university, I remember thinking that I was very dumb because I couldn't understand things. And then it just took a while and eventually I did. But then when I started teaching, I would see students who would feel the same way and, and I would just work on different ways to tell them the same information, but just be able to switch it another way so they could understand. I hate for people to ever feel that because I felt like that. And it's, it's demoralizing and it, it kind of right. breaks your spirit. And there's so many different ways to teach in terms of how the student is going to receive it and perceive it. Absolutely. And I think, you know, the, you have to have a bit of, yeah, maybe experience having been in a position where it was tough for you to learn something, to be able to appreciate that not everybody gets everything immediately. Um, and yeah, empathy and understanding. Yes. Yeah. yeah, great. So, um, so you hadn't been doing much in theater until you got to Copenhagen and started yeah. doing improv again. Oh, yeah. I know what I wanted to ask you. Um, in, in going back into your uh, young adulthood, were you writing at all? Were you writing uh, sketches or stories or plays? No, not really. Um, I, I think I had sort of skits with friends, but they were more, I guess, like improv skits. We didn't really write anything. Okay. Um, yeah, I don't know, like 
fun, weird, like, I don't know, role playing, pretending to be different people, um, you know, on public transport, putting on an accent and pretending to be somebody else. Right, right, right. <laughs> I I was listening to um, uh, Conan O'Brien has a podcast, which I just love. And he had Amy Sedaris on recently. Well, I don't know when it was taped, but um, she was talking about, you know, fooling around with her brother, David Sedaris, and uh, who I got to see recently in person, which was marvelous. Mm-hmm. Anyway, and they'd be in an elevator and she'd say something to him like, David, you know, your adopted daughter really would you, it'd be good if you visit her. You know, she's in the hospital and all those tubes and, you know, she's in a coma, but your presence would mean a lot and people in the elevator, you know, doing really goofing on things like that. So I think it's kind of fun. Yeah, it was that kind of spirit of it as well. It would be like, you know, some of my really best friends, good friends that share the same similar sense of humor and we would do and say things like that out loud. I don't know. Uh, young and to just see if you could get people to turn around or laugh or something. Right, exactly. So you got back into improv and then where did your journey take you? Um, it, how long did it take before you started teaching? Because you're very brilliant um, and I'm not trying to suck up to you. Uh, maybe I am. Uh, but <laughs> <laughs> um, how, how did you, how long were you studying before you saw this is what I'd like to do? Um. So I started um with the theater that i was at sort of in a volunteer role to teach new short form games and new short form performers and like run that um and because there wasn't our the theater started as a long form theater so short form was quite new and i yeah so i just started doing that because i thought it was another cool thing to do at the theater Um, And then I started doing improv training and where that took me was that took me into being a management consultant. So I did an improv training where there were 900 consultants on this island for their summer getaway. There were eight of us and we each taught courses with maybe 45 people in them. And all of these people were so happy and loved their jobs. So I was tempted. Wow. Uh, yeah, I, they really, they're it's a really nice consultancy company here in Denmark where everybody's, yeah, everyone's young, um, fit, attractive, <laughs> loves their jobs. Um, so I was very tempted to join them and I did. And while I was working there, I got the chance to work with the leadership department in doing some applied improv training for businesses. And then it was uh, during the pandemic, really. So then I was teaching uh, improv in the evenings, I was teaching classes, teaching students. And then during COVID, I think I just, um, or just before I just realized I, I'm not really doing what I'm passionate about. And I thought I might as well take the shot and try set up my own company. So, uh, it wasn't maybe the brightest time to do it, uh, right during the time where no one was allowed to meet each other, but that's, uh, maybe just before then I started teaching classes uh, privately and then I started teaching corporate improv just around the time the COVID hit. <laughs> right. And that's when you found inconspicuous. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, it was, it was a way to be able to produce our own shows and to teach the classes and the subjects that, that I wanted to teach and yeah, to be able to approach businesses and say, I, I have this tool, which I'm, fully believe in and in helping with communication skills and teamwork skills 
And yeah, so I set up my company. And the reason it's called Inconspicuous is such a dumb reason. It's because when I was a kid, I learned what the meaning of inconspicuous is, which is sort of in the shadows or sort of secretive, hidden away. And I said a joke once when I was 12, which was, when I'm older, I want to own an office building and call it inconspicuous office building. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. I love that. Now, were you teaching online during the pandemic or is that when you started to develop audio programs? Yeah, that's more when we went into audio. So um, there was my my duo partner, Adrian McKinder, who's also my best friend. Um, he I, We met at, at a theater here and found that our sense of humor worked very well and we get along really well. And during COVID, because we couldn't perform, we still had that itch for performing now since we've been doing it. I used to perform, you know, two, three times a week. And we thought, well everybody's recording things we should record something <laughs> so we recorded yeah a series a short series of improvised film noir dramas or like they're comedy dramas but yeah they're uh they're, oh they're they were... oh thank you they're brilliant and uh if these walls can talk i'm going to put a link in so people can find it i wish you had done more i love it <laughs> i know we we did some stuff last year like hoping to bring out like some halloween episodes but then i don't know it's uh where does your focus go i think that's the thing that i've noticed now having a company is uh, you know where does your focus go because i love to perform and produce comedy events um but and I also love to teach corporate but it's which one honestly like which one pays the bills and sometimes you got to put your energy into the money maker one sometimes I understand I understand but it's so funny and I love film noir I love teaching I'm teaching a long form film noir for people with Parkinson's for an improv show oh, amazing. and it's so much fun it's so much fun so um now you've got an IMBD credit <laughs> <laughs> I do. And I only found out about it recently myself. So yes, also during the pandemic, when everything was gone audio, I um, was connected with an American actor and improviser called Alex Denny, who was making a kind of improvised podcast where it was, he was stranded um, trying on an island trying to get home. And there were all these talking animals. And he would every week uh, on the radio accidentally connect to a normal person and have a chat with them. And so I was in two episodes. I was in one where I was myself and one where I was a pig. I can't remember the name <laughs> of the pig, but she was great. But I think I spiked the audio so much because <laughs> she was like a very high pitched pig. She was great. Petunia, maybe? Possibly. Yeah. It's a great but name yeah. for a pig. Yeah, that's yeah. lovely. So I want to go back to when you were um, formally studying improv, because my experience has been that um, in Europe and Canada, people learn Keith Johnstone first and then discover Viola Spolin sometimes. I mm -hmm. wondered what your trajectory was when you were studying improv. So it actually uh, was a lot different. So there was a theater here that was set up by um, uh, two Danish guys and an American woman, and she was from UCB. So, ah. was, and we didn't start with short form at all. Uh, we started just like straight into long form and yeah, building scenes, building characters, finding patterns. Wonderful. Yeah. So then it was uh, for a long time until we only used to do short form for corporate because it was easier to sell a short yeah, form show. Yeah, yeah. 
And then when Jay came over, um, Jay came over to live in Copenhagen for a while and he worked as an artistic director at the theater and he... At your theater, at your theater. Not mine, the one I used to work at. Oh, okay, okay. And he, um, yeah, he's so passionate about short form and he's so, he's just so passionate about improv as well. Yeah. And uh, so supportive. But he really just thought, you know, doing more short form was good because, and I really like the tenant of, of his teaching of improv, which is that, you know, good short form leads to good long form. You know, you stay with connected to your scene partner. You listen to what's interesting that's going on. And it doesn't rely on gimmicks and that really good short form is, is akin to really good long form and that they help each other out. So yeah, that's how I got more into short form and then realized that I'd actually been doing it since I was four. (laughs) It's wonderful. It's wonderful to have both of them, but if you only had one, which one would you pick? Oh, well, I don't know. You can kind of cheat and then do like a medium form. So sometimes when we have uh, some shows, we might invite some guests up for the first or second half. And we might just get the audience to write down as many locations as they could think of. And then between each scene, we'll take a new location, do a scene, like like swipe the plate and then get a new location, do a scene. So that's kind of a medium form. I guess because we constantly break it to get a new suggestion. Yeah. So, yeah. Mm, so I think you could cheat. <laughs> okay. Well, going back to UCB, I love them. Their uh, book, the the manual. It's mm. it's fantastic. And I was with a group of mostly guys for a while just doing that, and mm. it was a lot of fun. I went to a DCM marathon one year too. Have you ever been to that? Or yes, I went to DCM. I can't remember the year, but it was the final year. It was in New York. Yeah. Um, and uh, we applied on a whim. They, and I, I know that they accept the hundreds of applications. So it was a bunch of friends. We weren't even on a set team, but we we all just wanted to to go to New York. So we put on one show, filmed it, and then sent off the application and got accepted. Wonderful. And it was a beautiful weekend. It was great. Uh, I also got to be in an international mixer, which was a cool experience. Yeah. Being, yeah. In, in an American theater, mixing with people from all over the world. And DCM had such a great energy. I went to DCM 14. I remember that clearly. And of course, the highlight for me was seeing Ascat. Oh, Um, yeah. That was just awesome. But I had such a great time. So I was like... It was I was one year into improv when I went, and I got picked to be on on a in a scene on a in his workshop, and yeah. I was like a deer in the headlight. I was like, I don't know what to do. <laughs> <laughs> so much fun. So, have you been to the states very much? I mean, have you ever uh, worked at Second or taught at Second City or I/O or any of those places? Oh no, not at all. Um, no, I I've been to visit. Um, I've been to New York a few times and I've been to LA once um, just to visit, see shows, take courses. Where'd you take courses? Um, I took a course with uh, Jay. Um, Jay was teaching, it was, uh, Jay was teaching a weekend intensive uh-huh. and my friend and I booked it on a whim and just went to LA for a weekend, which is a pretty long flight from. Yes, it is. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. So we went, for maybe three or four days to LA and we were so jet lagged. I remember Jay was teaching in Santa Monica and he took us with him and we were sitting outside the room he was teaching in while he was teaching. 
and we fell asleep on the floor and people were like stepping over us <laughs> we were so jet lagged yeah he's having he's having one this december tw uh, 27th i'm going to it i can't wait yes amazing yeah. uh it's so uh, i don't know i just he's so good and so supportive and i i love working with jay and i'm so happy he's doing uh you know more of these in-person workshops as well yeah, it's beautiful. So tell me more about um, Inconspicuous Theater. How many people are, do you have other teachers teaching there? And is a Adrian's there? Yeah. Um, so um, teachers, there's um, three, four. And then teams, there's, I, I'm on a narrative genre team um, with uh, called Supercuss. We do movie genres. And then we, in our second half, we, so the first half is a movie and then the second half is all the deleted scenes. And it's a real lifesaver because the audience gets to have so much input for that second half and they get to call you out on everything that made no sense in your story. <laughs> you know, a plot line disappeared or a character turned up for a second and was never seen again. They call you out on it and you get to, you get to fix that and, and put more scenes in. Oh, that's beautiful. Can you explain narrative movie genre for people that might not know what it is? Oh, absolutely. Um, so we try to have a, a long form improv set, so all improvised that tells a story. And, and each we have now nine different genres that we work in. So, yeah, we do a lot of research and study into how what are the stereotypical characters, tropes, storylines, themes of all these stories. And then we're not trying to create like recreate, um, um, you know, a horror movie we've ever seen. We're trying to use those themes to create a comic horror movie that's brand new. And you typically, we, we've one or two protagonists, but we've done some medieval quests. There's only three of us on the team, but we've done wow. some medieval quests where there's like six characters on a journey together. I um, love it. I love yeah. it. It's so wonderful. And do you do any music at all? Any musical improv? Oh, I tried it once <laughs> and I nearly cried. <laughs> <laughs> it is so difficult. I can hold a tune. And I can improvise, but to do those two together requires some serious training, I think. It's well, I love doing the different genres, you know, horror. Um, I, I don't care for an alien too much, but I really like uh, Westerns, yeah. musicals. and uh, But film noir is really my favorite, favorite thing. It's just terrific. Now, everything you do is improvised. You don't do any sketch writing at all at your school? Um, no, not yet. Um, we've been so I'm on another team where we do UCB premise style improv. So we do it from a monologue. We got ideas from a monologue and, and try to create sketches in the moment. And we've been trying to work on using improv to sketch. So trying to write some sketches. Yeah. And with the hope of putting on a show within the next year to do that. So that yeah. is yeah the hope. There's a fabulous uh, online sketch school called the Sketch School in L.A. And um, I did a podcast with the owner, Mark Rosecca, and it's just brilliant. I love taking that class, but I'm the kind of person I need an assignment. It's hard for me to just sit down and start writing. You know, I need something. Um, a deadline or yes, yeah, something. Yes, yes. Yeah, I'm totally the same because otherwise I'll just keep putting it off forever. I'm not... I, I'm, <laughs> I think it's because I learned very young that you can you can do a lot of things last minute. <laughs> so yes, can, yes. Unfortunately, I'm I'm very similar. 
and I wish I would, you know, get up and write every day or write a line every day. But uh, yeah, I think that's why we're trying to impose this deadline because we want to get it done. We've been talking about it for years and without a deadline, it's not going to happen. So, no, you need yeah. that deadline. Yeah. That's the, the curse of the smart girl and procrastination. Yeah. <laughs> you learn a lot of terrible habits when you're an intelligent kid. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, so, um, what's a typical day like for you? What's the what's the weather? I know it's the afternoon right now, but they won't oh, know is. that on the. Oh yeah, it is uh, pitch black outside. It's uh, four thirty-five right now, and it is so dark. So the sun sets very early here, and it's raining really heavily, but snowing just north of the city. So oh. it's it's a weird day. So we at the theater today. And uh, no, yesterday, yesterday there was a, there was a show and uh, today, no, I've been more focusing on, so I run, I run my business myself. So I, I take care of all the, the sort of emails and admin and accounting as well and uh, promotion and marketing and making promotion videos and fixing the website and stuff like that. So that was a, that was the day today was doing all of that admin stuff. Yeah, well, that's important. You need to keep putting it out there. Yeah. yeah. Um, so uh, but if... then, yeah, tonight. Oh, sorry. Uh, tonight, I'm, I'm I'm meeting up with one of my teams to practice. So, uh, yeah, uh, we always even it's very funny when I teach students now, they say, but you still practice or I have coaches as well that coach my, my teams and I. And they're always like, wow, the coach has a coach. I'm like, of course, because your learning journey never exactly. ends. Exactly. Uh, Jay has been my coach for several years now. I'm very blessed um, to have that in my life. Yes. And uh, I go to other groups and classes and I teach a little bit, but he's my rock in terms of improv. I always learn something different and it's, it's such a blessing. So um, uh, now if you could change one thing in your life right now what would you change one thing in my life very interesting hmm. so i'm happy living in denmark i really like it the weather could be nicer but I, that's not really my life that i would change hmm. i think i would like to have so we we don't have our own full-time theater space and I think that would be something that I would love would be to have that full-time theater space um because we we use a lot of different venues like we're at certain venues every week or um, other venues every other week and we have teaching spaces that we rent but it would just be awesome to have that in in one center in just one place so I think if 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 I won the lottery Maybe, maybe that would be nice. That's the one thing I'll change about my life, winning the lottery. <laughs> brick and mortar, having a brick and mortar, as they say. Yeah. Um, but that's fabulous. So, um, but uh, Denmark's a pretty beautiful country. And politically, it's, uh, is it, I think it might be safe to say it's safer than it is in the States. Um, yeah, it's a really safe country. Um, in general, you know, um, and, and that means a lot of things, especially I think as a woman in a big, big city or a main yes. city, I don't, I, I can have my headphones on and not feel like that's a silly idea. I can get home. We've a Metro 24 seven. You can get on the Metro any time of the night and feel like you're safe and secure. Um, generally, obviously do things do happen, but yeah, I don't know. It's, it's got a pretty, 
it's a really nice place to live. I think sometimes when you've moved to Scandinavia and you've lived that life, it's maybe hard to move away because we have so many great things here and work-life balance is really important to Danes. So making sure that you don't work too much and you spend time on your hobbies and your family is really important as a lifestyle and a culture here. Right. And so that I really appreciate. And holiday time is different over there too, isn't it? I mean, people get a week off or two weeks off in the States. Yeah. And, and people get five or six weeks here plus wow. any of the state holidays. Yeah. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. It so um, I want to ask you if you watch much film, are you, are, do you like going to film or you watch stuff on Netflix or? A lot. I consume a lot of medium <laughs> media. Um, yes. Especially because I do the, the narrative genre shows. Um, yes. I, yes. I watch a lot. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, you can ask me. Uh, not that I've seen everything, but I've seen a, unfortunately a lot of what the streaming services have to offer. Uh, there was a beautiful film I saw this past year called The Quiet Girl. Oh yeah, on Colleen Kuhn. Wasn't that a beautiful movie? Yeah, and it was amazing. So uh, it's amazing for I don't know I, Irish isn't that widely spoken. We all have to learn it in school but we don't really know how to speak it. Like mm -hmm. We learn it from when we start school until we finish. And then you get to 18 and you're in an oral examination with a person and they're trying to ask you anything in Irish. And the best you can say is, you know, my name is Sarah and there are six people in my family at that sort of <laughs> level when you've learned uh -huh. something for 14 years. Um, so it's really cool when, and I regret that now actually, that I don't speak my own language very well. But it's so cool when when a I don't know when a movie from your own country in your own language makes such international news and and is so popular and is so beautiful. It was so beautiful. And then there was another one, but I can't think of the name of it right now and who was in it. But um, it was the one man, famous actor, was living with um, his sister, and he had a donkey, and then he had a really good friend. What was the name of that movie? Can yeah. you remember? Oh, yes. oh, oh, and um, oh, yes. Uh, oh, am I going to Google it? I might have to Google it. Yeah, Google it so we can tell the audience what it was. Um, while you're Googling, oh. I would love to do a scene with you sometime. Maybe not today, but another time. Could we possibly do a scene together? Yeah, that sounds like lovely. ten minutes. I would love to do that. Uh, that would be absolutely lovely. And the movie was The Banshees of Inish Aaron. Yes. Yeah. That was a powerful film, wasn't it? Yeah, and uh, so dark, so darkly comical as well. Yeah. Like some of the moments just sort of shockingly hilarious. I, right. I guess that's what the director is like very good at. I don't want to do a spoiler, but the cutting off of uh, fingers. <laughs> you know, oh, and then that sad moment that results from that. Yes, you know? yes. Oh, oh, it was a lovely film. Yeah. If you would make a film, what would the title be? The title? Well, I know what the genre would be. Yes, what would it be? A horror. I love horror movies. Um, oh, what's your favorite horror movie? Can you name a couple that you like? Yeah, um, yeah, absolutely. So I love, um, I love the thing. The thing I think is a really great horror. Yes, movie. yes. Think, yeah, it's it's tense and good. I, Alien is also brilliant. I love um, Tucker and Dale versus Evil. It's a comedy horror. 
it's such a good horror because it's so aware of every trope inside it. So what it is, it's um, a movie from the point of view or like the protagonists are the people you would differently typically think are the bad guys, but everything happens around them. I don't want to spoil too much, but Tucker and Dale versus evil is such a good movie. Oh, I have to look at that one next. Absolutely. Yeah, that was great. So um, this has been so delightful for me to get time with you. And I, I would love to visit Copenhagen. I was lucky to go. I was in France last year. And that was beautiful. Yeah. And especially the museums, which I, I love beautiful art. And you've got a beautiful piece of art right behind you. I can't quite see what it, oh. I do. So it's it's massive. It's, um, um, I don't know how, like it's up to my shoulder and I'm 5'10". And wow. So it's a huge painting. It is my boyfriend's, what is the relation? I think it's like his great grandfather or his great grand uncle or something painted it but it's of the grand uncle and his ex-girlfriend. So when uh, the grand uncle got married, his wife didn't want a, a naked picture of a woman in the past <laughs> that isn't her. So then it's just been passed down through the family. So we have this beautiful, amazing piece of art that was made by the family. Beautiful. So um, my last question is, if you could give some wisdom to people, women as well, I think women too, especially, um, thinking about improv, starting out in improv, uh, <clears throat> what advice would you give to them, Sarah? Um, I think persevere and don't judge yourself so harshly. Not everything is going to be perfect or ever can be perfect. And what you do is good enough. And that when you practice things, you always improve and get better. I think maybe people are very, very harsh on themselves. And, and typically, in my experience, a lot of women judge themselves very harshly. And I think just taking the perspective of it's okay not to be brilliant sometimes. I love that. It's okay not to be brilliant sometimes. It's okay to be just who you are. You can be exactly. average and enjoy that. Yeah, everybody is interesting, right? Everybody everybody has something. Nobody doesn't have an interesting story or interesting life. There's no such thing as a boring person. Right. And right. Uh, once we realize that, that, then we can be comfortable to be us. I think um, I, I was asked recently, I did a program with the British embassy here in Copenhagen. It was a really beautiful um, event. It was called Ambassador for a Day. And the British ambassador had asked young women from around Denmark to apply to this program for like leadership skills. And I did an applied improv course with these young women because studies show that around the age of 13, young people lose a lot of confidence, young women especially uh, lose confidence. And I was asked for three pieces of information that I would give. And mine were be authentic. You can only ever be you and you'll only ever be as happiest when you are yourself. Um, be changeable because you just don't know when an opportunity comes. I never knew I would be an improviser full-time. I thought maybe I would do computer science for the rest of my life. And maybe I'll go back to that. I don't know what opportunity is coming back. 
Um, so I think, yeah, these are, these are the pieces of advice that I have for people. You can edit it down. <laughs> <laughs> well, <clears throat> I am again, so honored to get to speak to you and, uh, my wish for you, if I, my magic wand, oh, here it is, is that you win the lottery very soon and have that beautiful inconspicuous building with inconspicuous yes. and bright lights. <laughs> yes. My inconspicuous theater. It'll be brilliant. My 12 year old self will be so happy. <laughs> well, you know, George Carlin once was asked how old he was. He said, I'm five, I'm seven, I'm 10, I'm 13, because all of those ages are still inside of me. Oh, that's great. I love that quote. Yeah. yeah. So thank you again so much. It was delightful. And next time in, I'm in Copenhagen, I'll drop by and say hi. <laughs> Please do. Yeah. Thank you so thank much. You. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed the podcast and look forward to you joining us next time on Improv Interviews with Margot Escott.